0: Joined this morning by the Dean of the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine at Arkansas State University. He's become uh, not just our doctor, our consultant, our advisor. He's also become a a real good friend of ours over the course of this pandemic. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Shane Spites. Doc, good morning. Good
1: morning, guys. How are you guys doing?
0: Man, you know, we're waking up to rain. We're waking up to some people. Yeah. I mean, for some people, this is actually the first day of school. So we're going to have uh, maybe some new ears this morning of people who haven't heard our chats over the course of the last uh, the last few weeks. And we've talked so much about COVID and the Delta variant. And, you know, I think as we go through this, we were just talking about, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there. Some of it's good. Some of it's real. Some of it's not so good. Some of it's misinformation. Some are myths. And I think this morning with so many people who, who might uh, have been asleep during the summer, uh, we need to go back and we need to kind of recap stuff. We need to talk about where we stand as a state and where we stand as uh, as to sending our kids into school in a pandemic. And, you know, we really thought this was going to be over last year. And, and all of a sudden, boom, just in time for school to start, it really fired back up.
1: Now, you're absolutely right. And as a matter of fact, <clears throat> that's exactly what happened. We were sitting there there at the end of the spring, into the summer. Arkansas was only you know, hitting about 150, maybe 180 cases a day. Right. So 150, 180 COVID cases a day, very few hospitalizations, very few deaths, maybe one or two deaths per day. Now we're sitting at 2,300 cases per day in the state of Arkansas on average. Yesterday, gosh, a horrible figure, 41 deaths in the state yesterday. Um, those are starting to come back up. And, and deaths usually lag. You'll have cases go up first. And then hospitalizations and deaths usually come behind that because obviously people get sick and they're sick for a while. <clears throat> now, we're doing a much better job of taking care of COVID in terms of uh, in the hospital. But it's still a very serious illness. And, and unfortunately, it's killing a lot of Arkansans uh, throughout the state, as evidenced yesterday.
0: Who ends up um, who ends up passing away? And here's the reason I ask this. I saw the other day that a guy I know from Panama City Beach, Florida, a guy I dealt with when I did um, broadcast down at Panama City Beach, he passed away. And, and literally, we just had an email exchange over the summer and uh, nice guy and great family man. And and the weird thing about it was, you know, he was in his upper 40s. So he's a little bit older than me. Um, but, you know, he was busy and he was one of those people who kept saying he wanted to go and get the vaccine and uh, never did because he was busy. And uh, he ended up sick and fighting for a month. And, you know, before before the age of 50, he was in a hospital and didn't make it.
1: So when we look at the state of Arkansas, and if we watch the data from, let's say, from February, from February really till now, 90, uh, 92% of the people that have, that have been hospitalized for COVID are unvaccinated. Wow. When you look at the people that have died from COVID, 90% of them are unvaccinated. When we look at the age demographics, it's still older individuals, but because of the Delta variant, we're seeing younger individuals, such as your friend that you just mentioned, down to the 40s, even 30s, um, that are dying. Unfortunately, too, another group of of people that we're seeing are um, uh, pregnant women or women that have recently delivered their babies. Um, That's starting to be something that's catching our attention, too, because because of the immune system of, of the pregnant woman.
0: Yeah, and so that's it's interesting you brought that up because it's one of the questions we really haven't touched on that a whole lot, uh, pregnancy and the, and all that. So uh, why do we think that could be an issue now, where we're seeing that uh, this variant? I'm assuming it's the Delta variant that's causing this.
1: But that's correct. It is the Delta variant, and we've seen a significant uptick in the Delta variant. Really, for us here in Arkansas, it started it started coming up about June or so, June or so, and really picked up in July, and we've just continued. We've seen a little bit of a plateau just in the last week or the last seven to ten days we expect that number though will go back up as you said since school just started this week around the state uh, not only for k-12 but for colleges and universities so we do expect the numbers and the cases continue to climb <clears throat> but in terms of pregnancy um, uh, pregnant women are at a different risk uh, because of immune status you know because obviously you know that pregnant woman is caring for an unborn child and that's a tax on her body as well mm-hmm. um, you know we've unfortunately not seen as many get vaccinated. The vaccine is safe for pregnant women and recommended. Everybody across the board recommends it, just like we recommend the flu shot for pregnant women. And the reason why is not only that it protects the mother and keeps the mother healthy, but when the mother generates antibodies from the vaccine, those antibodies that she creates, that her body creates, get passed on to her child before she delivers, or they're passed on to the child through breast milk. And that's the only way that a newborn or that a, um, a child under six months of age uh, can get antibodies right now because there there's not going to be a vaccine anytime soon for those kids. So it's the only way for them to get protection from COVID.
0: So why do you think some of the some people who are pregnant or or you know they're trying to get pregnant? Why are they so afraid of the vaccine?
1: You know, we had there was a lot of misinformation that came out. I mean, and I'm glad you hit on that. And it's almost like I told one group, it's like playing whack-a-mole. Every time that we hit one of them, and we say, okay, this is not true, this is misinformation. You know the, the person who said this either misinterpreted or didn't know what they were talking about, it seems like something else pops up mm-hmm. somewhere else. And the the thing on women, actually, there was a question about infertility, and it started back in, in the beginning of the pandemic or actually um, toward the when the vaccines were coming out, and it was a question uh, from a German epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. And, the, and it was a, just a theory throughout there, and it was quickly disputed. But the problem is what we're seeing is bad information Spreads faster than good information right. or correct information. So, you know, anytime there's something sensational, you know, oh, it causes this or oh, it can do that, that'll spread 10, 15, maybe 100 times faster then the message just says, no, that's not correct. And here's why. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what we're battling right now is the amount of misinformation. People will take something, they'll retweet it, they'll repost it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just bad information. And that's really harming us. It really is.
0: Well, we've seen that in our own family where somebody sees or hears something. And then by the time they go and, and try to retell it, it changes a little bit. And then the more times it's retold, the more the story changes. We're also seeing though, and this is kind of wild to me, we're seeing people who are trying to profit off of this pandemic. We're seeing yeah. people who are out there Trying to make money by selling vitamins, who or, or, or yeah. people trying to push different medications, or or even uh, I saw some people trying to push what was it the ivermectin?
1: Yeah, and and that's that's extremely unfortunate. And I you know and we just got I mean the the health profession is no different than other ones. We have bad actors just like you know every group. I'm sure there's some bad actors in the DJ world too, but we won't get into that. But, yeah, no, uh, no, no,
0: it's not. <laughs> uh, the- I'm sitting across from him. <laughs>
1: But in the professional world, in terms of physicians and healthcare providers, there are absolutely people trying to basically profit off of this crisis mm-hmm. uh, and actually make money and sell some sort of concoction of, like you said, herbals or vitamins or you know, or the ivermectin has become popular, even though the data is not good on that. Right. And, and there's a there's a real good um, explanation uh, by a Yale uh, professor and epidemiologist that goes through all of the research studies and says, look, this is why these here aren't valid these are, and we just don't have an answer to it, um, but it gets complicated, and you've got to be able to talk about things like absolute relative risk and you know, significant, or, uh, you know, statistical significance and number needed to treat versus number needed to harm. I mean, there's all of this epidemiology discussion that has to be involved in it. Most people aren't armed with that information, right. and so they get confused, and they just kind of read a snippet from some author or something, and, and they take that as fact.
0: Talk to the parents who were, uh, let's, you know, there's a lot of kids who went back this week across Northeast Arkansas. So uh, parents have either taken their kids to school or they're on their way and about to drop them off or they're on the bus this morning. Um, Number one, I thought it was really interesting that not every school has a mask mandate. Why do you think that is?
1: You know, there's a lot of controversy there. Um, And let me back up. There's not controversy about the um, data on masking. Mm -hmm. We know that masking uh, reduces the spread of disease. We know that it reduces the number of people that can get infected um, in a certain circle and so uh, and the CDC has come out with that they've posted all the different research articles that back it up specifically around schools and school kids and the reduction in, uh, in the spread of, of the virus and the spread of disease. That's not as debatable. Mm-hmm. What happens is is that um, I think people latch on to you know let's just say a, a vitamin concoction or a riivermectin or, or or the masking. Mm-hmm. And they almost make it personal, yeah. um, and that's really what we're seeing more and more happening is that you know people are tired of this they're tired of the pandemic, and they're they're looking for something to kind of latch on to because the data on masking is good um and really, when you talk about you know what is it that we should be encouraging you know parents and teachers and school districts, number one is vaccination for those that are eligible mm-hmm. If you're eligible to be vaccinated, you should be vaccinated. We know that lowers. Uh, the incidence of disease. We, ju- we know it does. I mean, the numbers are proven out here in Arkansas when we look at hospitalizations. When we look at those that are being hospitalized with COVID and those that are dying, it is by and large the ones that are unvaccinated. And so vaccination works. We know it does. And we know these vaccines are safe. We know they're effective. But that's just part of the strategy. Masking is another part of the strategy. Hand washing, fogging of the rooms whenever they're not being in used in the evening, making sure that your uh, air conditioning systems have high efficiency filters. Um, keeping groups uh, separated so that you don't have multiple groups mixing, so that you don't have infections being spread back and forth, you know, through a lot of different uh, individuals, limiting your large events. This is all a mitigation strategy to reduce the risk of spread. Not that you're going to completely um, alleviate it, because you're not. There's still going to be viral spread. There's going to be lots of cases in our schools. There's going to be lots of quarantine in our schools. But we want to reduce it because we want to reduce the impact on our hospitals that right now are already seeing extremely high numbers of COVID patients, along with everything else, along with heart attacks, strokes, car accidents, asthma attacks. I mean, mm-hmm. the the normal things that happen. And so, it's, again, it's about reducing the number of people who get infected in a certain amount of time.
0: Let's talk about the quarantine. We've seen school districts uh, and one even, you know, that's, that's right next to us in Marion, <clears throat> That as soon as school went back, you know, there were positive cases, but more so than the positive cases, uh, there were hundreds and hundreds of kids who were then quarantined. Obviously, that affects the school year. Should parents be prepared for that this year? Because, I mean, school's been back for the ones who went back this week for either a couple of days or it's going back today. Like, how quick will we see kids being quarantined?
1: Yeah, we'll probably see it fairly quickly. And, and why we'll see it, remember, quarantine means this is somebody who got exposed to somebody who had COVID and they are not vaccinated. So if I was not vaccinated, which I am, I'm fully vaccinated, but if I wasn't vaccinated and I got exposed to somebody who had COVID, documented COVID, I would need to quarantine. Now, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine. You have to wear a mask, you need to get tested in three to five days, but you don't have to quarantine. But when you talk about, again, there's not a vaccine approved for those under the age of 12. So those kids have to quarantine. Right. So that can be large classrooms. And unfortunately, you've got teachers that aren't vaccinated. You've got staff in the school district that aren't vaccinated. They would have to quarantine. So now they're out, depending on what the, you know, the schedule is that the school uses. There's a different, you know, different protocols for quarantine now, five, seven, or 10 days based on testing strategies. And I'm not going to get into that, but right. they'll have to be out. Now, if you get COVID, you go into isolation. That means I have COVID. I'm going to go into isolation so I don't infect someone else. That's a minimum of ten days, so you're out for a minimum of ten days, and then based on um, how you feel, are you taking medications for fever, those kinds of things, that kind of tells you when you can come back to work or come back to school
0: so are you thinking we'll see quarantine start as early as next week that would
1: that would sound about right. It'll take a little bit to kind of take off, but I mean I mean, I'll be honest with you, I think I've heard of schools already just in our region in our state that were having issues when they were having football practice, when they were having, you know, summer band programs. And so we've already seen some of that in the state. Uh, you already mentioned what happened in Marion. Uh, that was kind of, you know, they start earlier than most school districts. So that kind of gave us an idea of what we can expect around the state. Um, I have no reason to believe that we're not going to start seeing um, isolations and quarantine, certainly within the next week, week and a half or so. Um, you know, it's hard to know. One of the one of the things that kind of the, that w- the big unknowns we that we have, Is who got sick with COVID last year and how their immune system is going to respond if they get the Delta variant again? Mm -hmm. Um, They have some immune response. It just depends: is it enough to keep to protect you? Um, Is it enough to 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 ward off the Delta variant? We don't have answers to that right now.
0: Let's talk about the kids who are under the age of twelve. I know you have one. I have one. You know, Kai's going to be turning twelve this year, but. You know, we still have the worry and the kids are having to go into the classroom and they can't be protected. Obviously, we recommend the masks. But is there is there any type of a time frame as to when we can expect the vaccine to be available to those under the age of 12?
1: So right now, Pfizer is the is kind of the front runner in terms of vaccine for those aged five to 11. And they are finishing up their clinical trials. And we are hoping that they will be able to submit to the FDA sometime in September. They keep saying the September, October time frame. What will happen is we will see, um, we'll hear about an FDA meeting. That's what it is. you'll get a, we'll get a heads up about a week ahead of time, week, maybe a week and a half ahead of time, and the FDA will be reviewing their data. And when they do that, they actually release it publicly. And so that's what has happened before. So, like for the, for the, uh, whenever they moved under the age of 18 and went from, went from 12 to 17. That data came out and I was able to download it off the internet from the FDA website and start reviewing the actual clinical data. And that's what you want to look at. And so that's what, I, that's what I looked at before I had my 13-year-old vaccinated. I felt really good about that data. I looked at all the outcomes from the cohort that they studied it in. And for me, yeah, you know, this plus what we know about adults, I feel safe about giving it to my kid. I'll do the same thing whenever the FDA submits the data for those um, age 5 to, to 11. We'll look at the data. You know, I, like I, said, I don't expect any surprises, but we'll, we'll dig into it and see and then make that decision from there. But they'll give us about a week and a half heads up before they're going to meet on it. And That's when the FDA would make a decision to push forward and allow for 5 to 11. We think that'll be sometime in September, uh, maybe as, as late as, as 1st of October.
0: Dr. Shane Spites, <clears throat> the dean of the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine, is on with us this morning. Uh, so let's talk through the the idea of, you know, we'll go back to Kai because, again, he's going to turn 12. Um, uh, he he went in last week. Uh, he had to go in. He had a little bit of a wasp sting that kind of looked like it might be infected. He got a little bit of a steroid shot, and he spiked like this little low-grade fever for 12 hours or so after the steroid shot. Um, so then we started thinking, oh, my gosh, if he spiked that with a steroid shot, what is his reaction going to be if he were to get the COVID vaccine? And my wife was like, oh, you know. We thought we would get it for him, and then that kind of made us nervous. Is there a cause for concern with that, you think?
1: You know, it's it's really not. On the on the steroid shot, that's, that's a different mechanism, and we talk about what, you know, the different things that could have gone on that could have caused him to spike that fever. Um, that, that's probably a – physiologically, that's a different conversation. Yeah. When you get a vaccine of any kind, not just the COVID vaccine, whether you get the flu vaccine, whether you get, you know, measles, mumps, whatever it is, You should expect a little bit of an immune response, and you should expect to feel it. And that's completely normal. That's actually what you want to have happen. When you don't feel good after a vaccine, it means your body is doing its job. It means your body is saying, hey, I don't recognize what this is, and I don't like it. I'm going to create a whole army of white blood cells and memory cells and blah, 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 so that if I ever see this again, I'm going to knock it out before it really causes any damage to the body. Gotcha. And that's what you want. yeah. And so that's important to know. So that's, that you do expect that um, the uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, they're really good vaccines, um, and we are. You do see that kind of response. I felt it with my second vaccine. You yeah. know, it didn't feel really good the, after the um, after about 12 or 24 hours after the second vaccine. I mean, it wasn't horrible, and it was a heck of a lot better than getting COVID. Um, so that's kind of where we are on that. But you can expect an immune response with any vaccine.
0: Uh, Okay, so let's go through. I had a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, We we saw this deal where if you're immunocompromised, there could be some booster shots, shot three. If you had Moderna or Pfizer, is is that something we're looking at? You know, because I'm fully vaccinated. Kelly's fully vaccinated. um, And I think we got different vaccines based on who was providing it. Um, Will will there be a booster that makes it um, where the Delta variant is? It's tougher to get through. Do most of us will we need that at some point? That's a
1: great question. Big debate that's been going on, and I'll tell you some information that, that actually is just brand new as of yesterday. But let's talk about that booster vaccine for the, and they say for the immunocompromised, mm-hmm. and particularly what they're talking about is, and the CDC was very specific when they rolled that out. They said, you know, right now it should be for, you know, when they released it, individuals that have had like an organ transplant. Or are at the same immune level status as someone that's had an organ transplant. So, someone maybe undergoing cancer, undergoing chemotherapy. And they were very specific. Like, if you go to the CDC website, they've got like five or six lines there, like someone that has untreated HIV. Um, you know, there's different scenarios there that they, that they lay out. Now, what you're asking about is for the general population. Right. We actually expect to hear that today. Oh, wow. Um, that there was actually, yeah, there was actually some information that came out. Um, uh, early yesterday morning or so that was starting to be circulated saying, hey, you know, just kind of through the different circles, hey, we expect something to come out, you know, on Wednesday about broader vaccination, booster vaccination for the general public. So we're actually waiting to hear some of that today. So um, just kind of wait and see. What do we expect? We do expect to hear about um, booster vaccine. We know right now that the original vaccines um, uh, provide great immunity levels up to about six months. Mm -hmm. Now, let me be clear about this. When I say great immunity, that means from any symptomatic disease. And people, I think we forget sometimes, because these vaccines are so great. You're like, well, if I get the vaccine, I don't want the disease at all. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, when you get the vaccine, we don't want you to be hospitalized. We don't want you to be in the ICU. We don't want you on the ventilator. We don't want you dying. That's the purpose of it. And these vaccines do a great job of that and are still doing a great job of that. Up in 90, 93% uh, plus is what they're showing on that. However, the booster vaccine would boost you up even higher for symptomatic disease, so you wouldn't even feel like you got the disease. Um, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't get it at all, and it would keep your immunity level high and reduce the chance of any hospitalization, again, ICU admission or certainly death. And so they're saying about eight months is what they're saying now, about eight months after your second dose is when you, is when you might need a, um, is when they might recommend for a booster vaccine. And that's why what we're kind of expecting to come out today. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll have to, again, work through and make sure that, you know, CDC, FDA, all that kind of stuff um, has signed off on it. But right now, I think the recommendation may be that um, eight months after your second vaccine, there'll be a recommendation for a booster. And it is largely around this Delta variant and other variants that we're seeing Mm -hmm. uh, that are just starting to crop up. Um, Remember, the original vaccines were formulated based on the original strain of COVID. Now, that being said, they were really good vaccines, and they actually they covered what was called the entire spike protein. And so the, the spike protein is what's used to get into your human cells. And so because the vaccines were coded for the entire spike protein, even if there's a few mutations on that spike protein, it'll still protect you. You'll just start seeing reduction in the, in the efficacy of the vaccine over time, depending on how much it mutates. And so right now, you're still covered by the Delta variant for, for the vaccines that we have. But there's concern that there may be another variant that crops oh, up. Right. And that brings up a great point. Where do variants come from? They come from whenever you have a whole lot of people getting sick from a virus because the virus changes its code genetically as it jumps from person to person. Mm-hmm. And that's where the variants come from. So when you have thousands of people getting infected, there's a chance that those variants can then you know, be created and then start to propagate and, and go off on their own, so to speak.
0: I'm really proud of our workplace. I would say probably 95% of people here have been vaccinated, which I think is a great number for any workplace. Um, but as we look at those that data, right, you know, we have a lot of people here. Some people wear masks in the hallways. Some people don't. Uh, what are the chances of somebody who is vaccinated – uh, giving COVID to somebody else who's vaccinated. So let's say that, you know, we have a coworker who was accidentally exposed and no, maybe he's not really even, uh, having any symptoms, but goes into a room with another vaccinated person. What does that look like?
1: So, and it gets kind of complicated, but just bear with me on this. First of all, we do know there's data out now that shows that if a vaccinated person gets infected with COVID for about the first four to five days, they're going to spread the virus or they're going to shed it as much as somebody who's unvaccinated. So they're going to shed just as much virus as somebody who's unvaccinated for about the first four to five days. Now, at about day five, the vaccinated person, the chance of them spreading drops off significantly. Mm -hmm. And the unvaccinated person, this was, again, some surprising data, too, based on the Delta variant, that unvaccinated person can continue to shed depending on, on really what their immune status is like up to 10, 15, even 20 days after they got infected. Yeah, they can shed for a while. So that was kind of surprising. The vaccinated person, it drops off quickly after about five to six days. Um, But the until for those first few days, they're pretty much both vaccinated and unvaccinated. People are shedding the virus about the same. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking about a vaccinated person who's shedding again over the first few days, about the same as unvaccinated, coming in contact with another vaccinated person. Right. Well, The idea is that, you know, yes, you may get some of those viral particles, but because you're vaccinated, what we're seeing is these vaccinated individuals have very minimal, if any, Mm symptoms. And so it may just be you get a runny nose right? or eh, I just don't feel good for about a day or day or two. Now, it can go all the way to I'm sick with COVID and that can happen, too. And typically the person that has that experience is older or has some sort of underlying medical condition. So those people are still at higher risk, and that's where the whole booster conversation comes in. So, like the first thing you need to know about booster vaccines is, you know, who is it in your family that's at high risk of getting COVID and dying from it? That's going to be somebody 65 and older with an underlying chronic condition. They need to get the booster dose. They need to be the first line, first person in line, the booster dose. And I think they're going to roll these booster doses out very similar in the same manner that they did with the original. Uh, vaccines where it's, you know, frontline healthcare workers, uh, your, you know, your elderly, your nursing home. So that's probably what you'll see in terms of the rollout of the booster vaccine. That's what we can expect right now.
0: I sent Shane a text, Kelly. It was either, I think it was probably Friday night because I had somebody who had requested a meeting and it's somebody I know and I haven't seen in a minute. Um, and they wanted to do a breakfast, right? And I'm like, I don't know. So I reach out, poor Shane, he deals with me so much throughout the week. Um, but I understand, Shane, but I'm going different places. <laughs> and and I even said to Shane in our text on Friday night, I said, man, I feel like I might be crazy because as I go through town, I mean, I do see some people in masks, but I just gone through a drive through and picked up dinner and there were around, you know, four or five, six people who were working behind the counter, all within feet of each other. And nobody was wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And I go into a store, and you know maybe thirty percent of people are in masks. I know people are tired of it, but then I start thinking: Am I the crazy one? Am mm-hmm. I the crazy one for wear- for wearing the mask? And that's probably not the thought that we want in our heads as we're going through this.
1: Well, it's just, and I think what happened is this whole because the the climate has cha- changes uh, so much. And I guess what I'm saying is, like, for those that got fully vaccinated. You know, one of the big things about being fully vaccinated is, hey, I don't have to do all this anymore. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to socially distance. I can go out and I can. And the the CDC even had that on their website at one point. You can return to what you were doing before the pandemic. Heck, yeah. You know, where do I sign up for that? Yes. And so then all of a sudden, the Delta variant. And now everything's turned upside down again. It's like, "Ah, I'm sorry, but if you're fully vaccinated, you need the mask. You know, nobody wants the mask. I don't want a mask.
0: I don't don't want my
1: kids to mask. I mean. But, you know, it's one of those things where, well, but I also don't want to get sick. And I certainly don't want to make somebody else sick if I happen to be sick and don't know it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to wear the mask, um, you know, suck it up for a little longer kind of thing. <laughs> I'm going to get the booster vaccine, you know, when it's available and uh, and it's my turn, that kind of thing. So I'm going to continue to do that because I follow the science. I'm following the evidence. Right. I'm following as much as I don't like what it says, as much as I don't, you know, I'm not happy about, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the recommendations. I know what they're founded on and I, you know, I, it's just the way it is, I guess.
0: So as we look at it and we see people who are either unvaccinated, unmasked, and they're going out and I get it, man, because we're all tired of it. Um, but that situation of people going out in public only means we elongate the Delta variant and COVID and the impact it has on everybody.
1: Right? Yeah, we, and it does. It, 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 I mean, in terms, I mean, certainly the, the vaccination numbers are key um, because we're still, I mean, we've made progress, but here in Craighead County, we're like 30% fully vaccinated. So 30% of the people in Craighead County are fully vaccinated. Right. Um, that's a really small number when you think about how much, you know, uh, spread we're going to be seeing. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's really good. It's going to take everybody. It's not a, you know, I do you, you know I do me, and you do you kind of thing. That's the problem. It, 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 we need to do we kind of thing. Right, yes. Um, because we're kind of all in this together, and if we don't all start rowing in the same direction, Uh, We're going to keep, I think, seeing more and more variants uh, come out.
0: Dr. Shane Spites, he's the dean of the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine at Arkansas State. That means he's the dean of the school teaching our future doctors. He studies this throughout the day, all day, every day of the week. New data comes out. Shane's on it. And if you want to follow him on social media, he's on all of the socials. Just search Shane Spites. And Doc Man, I know uh, we got a lot of time from you this morning. We appreciate that. And uh, thanks for keeping us up to date. I appreciate you guys. Stay safe. I mean, see you later. Take care. It's Dr. Shane Spites on the K-Fine Breakfast Club, which is powered by Families Inc. This is Arkansas's morning show. Brandon Baxter in the morning.